You're a guest of the Master Control Program. Oh, great. Oh, man. On the other side of the screen, it all looks so easy. Welcome to Now Playing's Tron Retrospective Series. It's game on as we boot up the 1982 cult favorite, discussing each bit and bite before we see Tron Legacy, the highly anticipated sequel coming out December 17th, 2010. Guiding you down the information superhighway will be Brock. Because, man, somewhere in one of these memories is the evidence. If I got in far enough, I could reconstruct it. Jacob. Now you can see why all of his friends are 14 years old. And Arnie. Sometimes I wish I were back in that garage. We invite you to pop in your quarters and check out our score. But a warning, these podcasts will contain spoilers. So if you haven't seen the Tron films, press stop now and return after you've seen the films. Hurry, the users are waiting. Today we're talking about Yogi Bear, starring Dan Aykroyd, Justin Timberlake, Tom Cavanaugh. I got my picnic basket. Not. (laughs) Anyway, today we're talking about Tron Legacy, starring Jeff Bridges, Garrett Hedlund, Bruce Boxleitner, Olivia Wilde, Michael Sheen, James Frain, and directed by Joseph Kaczynski. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing, Breedings Program. This is Jacob. This is Arnie. End of line. Well, this is it, guys. We are here to just talk about one of the most highly anticipated movies, Tron Legacy, the sequel to the 1982 Tron film. And if you haven't heard our original Tron review from the first movie, please listen to that first. I think you're going to need that for (laughs) our conversation about Tron Legacy. Actually, I want to start off with a correction on the Tron 1 podcast. I I had joked that Could you imagine how boring Solar Sailor the game would be? And one of our intrepid listeners actually sent me a link. They made Solar Sailor the Tron game. It wasn't part of the arcade four game system, which I knew. I never had it in television growing up. I was deprived. Mm. But they made Solar Sailor the game for Intellivision. And it was just as boring as I postulated it would be on the last podcast. (laughs) Fantastic. And I just want to say, if you have not seen Tron Legacy yet, we thank you for downloading Now Playing, but I advise you press stop now and come back after you see the movie, if you want to see the movie, because we are going to spoil this thing rotten. Really quickly. Yeah, really quickly. (laughs) (laughs) So guys, as we typically talk about when we see weekend of release movies, let's talk about the crowd we saw the movie in just really quickly. My theater was about half full. And not a lot of kids, mostly people my age. And it was an interesting dichotomy. We had one teenager in the back who kept on saying, Tron, it's Tron, after everything (laughs) in the movie. I don't understand why he was doing it. We we shushed him a couple of times. But, you know, after the, the life cycles, he was like, that's Tron. So that was my theater. Brock, your theater was very optimistic because mine was half empty. It was the more pessimistic theater. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And it was all people my age and fortunately nobody going, that's Tron. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually shocked. We went to see this in St. Louis, you know, a couple hour drive. And I fandango tickets with their convenience fee. I mean, I spent almost $40 for these IMAX 3D tickets with that convenience fee and everything. And thank you to the now playing donators for that. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. And 
I get there and there's like no line and we walk in and I like get my perfect seats right in the middle eye level. I have the entire IMAX screen and frame and I'm like, I really expected this to be full. I guess Yogi Bear is going to win the weekend because Tron ain't based on our audiences. And the theater I went to, uh, I like to indulge sometimes and I get away from the young kids that ruin my movie theater experience. So <laughs> the, where I go, they're pre-selected seats. You reserve your seats so you don't get the big lines or anything. But the theater, it was sold out. I bought my tickets uh, about a week ahead of time. And the showing I was going to was almost sold out when I bought those tickets. It was a packed theater. People of all ages there, people younger than me. We had one cosplayer. It was a Daft Punk cosplayer, which probably says more about the soundtrack of this film than the actual film. Now, let me start off. You mentioned Daft Punk. Am I supposed to know who they were before this movie? Because I'd never heard of them before. They've had some big hits. The Funk, I think, was the first big hit of theirs that I heard, like, in the 90s, late 90s. I had never heard of them either, Arnie, and I will never forget them now. Agreed. So, Arnie, why don't we start off with a plot summary? Well, brace yourselves, because I sat down and I said, this is going to be a real quick plot summary. And it's not. (laughs) There's a lot of detail in here, folks, so I, I apologize in advance. And if you've seen the movie and you remember it well, there's a little fast forward button on your iPod. I'd say go about four minutes. We start in 1989, and Kevin Flynn is telling his son Sam about the time he went on the grid. But the story continues after the events of the first movie, in that after they defeated the MCP, Kevin, Tron, and a newly reprogrammed Clue went on to design a new grid, a bigger, better grid that Kevin envisioned as being perfect. His technological insights had made Kevin Flynn kind of a Steve Jobs-like CEO superstar who's enthralling speeches about how technology would change everyone's life, calling it a digital frontier that will reshape the human condition, brought crowds to their feet. And while running Encom during the day and being a father to Sam at night, Kevin would go on the grid using the laser he kept in a secret room in his arcade, and they'd begin to develop this perfect new world. But an unexpected thing happened on the grid. A new life form sprang into being, the ISOs. No, not ripped CDs or DVDs, but isometric algorithms. Kevin saw the ISOs as changing everything, religion, science, but Clue saw them as imperfect, and since his instructions were to create a perfect world, Clue stages a coup. He and some soldier programs attack Kevin and Tron, and Tron seemingly sacrifices himself so Kevin can escape. However, Clue's takeover has trapped Kevin in the virtual world, and in the real world, news reports of his sudden disappearance spread quickly, and Sam is left to heir to the Encom fortune. Meanwhile, Clue and his soldiers commit genocide, killing every last one of the ISOs, or so they think. The movie actually picks up 20 years after Kevin's disappearance. Sam is a disaffected college dropout with no hopes or ambitions, living off his father's fortune, and despite being the largest shareholder of Encom, he stays completely out of its affairs except for an annual prank he pulls, this year's prank being to take Encom's new operating system, OS-12, which so happens to have been written by Edward Dillinger Jr., son of former Encom CEO Edward Dillinger, and release it for free on the web minutes before it is to go on sale. He's chased by a security guard, base jumps off the roof of the Encom Tower, and has a motorcycle chase before he's captured by police, all setting up that Sam has these skills later in the movie. Kevin's old friend, Alan Bradley, Bruce Boxleiter reprising his role from the first film, goes to visit Sam and mentions he got a page from Kevin's arcade, which had been deserted for 20 years. Though he pretends not to care, Sam's curiosity gets the better of him, and he goes to investigate the arcade, finding Kevin's hidden bunker and a dust-covered computer that had been running all this time. Through the Unix command line interface, Sam activates the laser accidentally, transporting himself onto the grid. He's quickly captured by the Black Guard on recognizers and taken to the games. 
He's outfitted with a cool neon outfit and taken to the disc games where he wins his first two fights and then is pitted against games champion Rinsler, who fights with two discs. Rinsler beats Sam, but doesn't derez Sam as he notices Sam's bleeding, and that makes him realize Sam is a user. Sam is taken to Clue, who looks exactly like Kevin and has never aged, and Clue realizes Sam is the bait he needs to bring Kevin out of hiding. Clue has succeeded in creating his perfect world on the grid, but now Clue wants Kevin's data disc, the frisbee they wear on their backs, so he can take his army of programs, which he reprogrammed into soldiers, into the real world and exterminate all human life, making Earth as perfect as the grid. Clue makes a big speech and sends Sam into the light cycle fights, and when all seems lost for Sam, a four-wheel vehicle breaks into the arena driven by Quora, played by Olivia Wilde. Quora is the last living ISO and has been staying and hiding with Kevin all these years. Quora rescues Sam and takes him off the grid, where only her vehicle can travel, to where Kevin's been living all these 20 years. Father and son reunite, but Kevin's not the man he used to be. He's trying to adopt a Zen motto, thinking he can't defeat Clue, and the best he can do is stay hidden, so Clue cannot enter the real world. Kevin tells Sam the portal the laser opened is only open for eight hours grid time, and can only be open from the real world, so Kevin would rather remain trapped than risk Clue's escape. But Sam does not subscribe to his father's passive ideals, and knows that if he can return to the real world, he can take out Clue with a few keystrokes. So Quora sends him to see Zeus, owner of the End of Line Club, who can provide Sam with transport to the portal. But Zeus is a partner of Clue and tricks Sam. Clue and his soldiers attack Sam, and Quora and Kevin come to Sam's rescue, and at the last minute, a black guard uses a grappling hook to steal Kevin's data disc. With Clue in possession of the data disc, the only hope is for Sam to get into the real world, so Kevin, Sam, and Quora hop a solar sailor to get to the laser. But they are attacked by recognizers led by Rinsler, and they capture Quora. Through the data disc, Clue has realized he can take his entire army to the real world and is mobilizing to do so. So Sam and Kevin split up, and Sam rescues both the data disc and Quora. They steal a ship and try to get to the laser, and are attacked by TIE fighters, or some other ship, led by Clue and Rinsler. Rinsler has the heroes in his sights, but then his true identity, he used to be Tron and was reprogrammed by Clue, comes through and Rinsler attacks Clue, helping the heroes. Finally, the heroes get to the laser along with Clue, and Kevin uses his godlike grid powers to stop Clue in a big explosion, and Kevin gives his data disc to Quora, so Quora and Sam can escape to the real world while the grid blows up real good. Finally, we see Sam and Quora in the real world. Sam is wearing a thumb drive around his neck where he's downloaded something from Kevin's computer. Is it the grid? Is it Kevin? I guess we have to wait till Tron 3.0 to find out, as Sam goes out to show Quora what the sun is like. Did you say that Clue and Flynn merge? Do they merge? It's... He sucks them in and then blows up. It, yeah. They merge yeah. for like half a second. Well, they merge, but it also kind of looked like a de-resing because he pixelates. So I couldn't tell if Clue was de-resing or merging or what all was going on there, really. Yeah, I wasn't sure exactly either. They came together and then they both exploded. So yeah. something, they kind of to me, they, the energy got combined or something and maybe he'll be like Neo now. He could fly or something. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm yeah. ready to get in this because yes, I, I do got, it. I got hate to spill. Oh, you and oh. I are gonna fight. I, we are. I I know. <laughs> All right. So the movie starts. My screening started with a 2D 3D warning, which I thought was cool because I was just assuming that people were taking off their glasses on and off. But the old typeface with the thing, you know, some of the scenes are in 2D and some are in 3D. And I'd never seen that warning on a movie before. But also the way it was coming up, I almost expected it to finish with end of line. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and I, and I wondered why I had to wait two hours to get some actual 3D in this film with the closing credits. I mean, the 3D 
I was expecting some mind-blowing 3D. I, I don't know what your guys' opinion of the 3D was, but it, it did not meet my expectations. That's I, I think that's the one expectation I had going into this, some great 3D, and I was underwhelmed. Well, I was overwhelmed. I went into this movie, and I was so burned out on 3D. I was tired of 3D. I'd seen so many 3D films this year. Everything's going in 3D. They're doing Thor and Captain America post-process 3D. I was just so freaking sick of 3D, and this film blew me away. Now, I saw it in the IMAX version, and maybe that's the difference, but oh my god, I actually looked to my left one time to see something. I was so involved, and it just pulled into this three-dimensional world. Now, I was very weirded out that some of the scenes were 2D, and I kind of thought, oh, they're going to do like the Wizard of Oz black and white color thing, where the real world is flat, and the Tron world, the grid, is 3D, but they didn't even do that, because some of the real world was 3D, right? I mean... No. Yeah, like when they... I thought it was, like when they zoomed in on their house in the 80s, that kind of looked like there was some depth to it to me, so it, it confused me. Yeah, and I wasn't sure. It's kind of hard to tell, but I thought when... Sam was in the arcade, like the rows of arcades had that kind of depth. I think some of the real world, especially during the opening credits, which is all real world, were definitely 3D. I I didn't get that, but I lifted my glasses up in the first scene when he's talking to his son on the bed to make sure. And so I may have missed those little things like the arcade things or whatever, but I thought they did it 2D, 3D completely. I didn't catch that at all, Arnie. I may be wrong, but I thought I saw depth, which having seen so many post-process 2D, 3D films, including some trailers at this film, when you have post-process 3D, it's so minor 3D, it's hard to tell anyway. But I felt there was some depth, especially during the opening credits. Of course, nothing like what we get when we get on the grid, where... I liked, again, this goes back to kind of our review of Avatar, has it been a whole year already, where I liked how this was subtle use of 3D. It provided depth without being, oh, I'm going to throw a stick in your face. I don't think I needed 3D for this movie. I paid the premium. I saw it. It bounced out at me as soon as I got on the grid. But like most 3D movies for me, except for the exception of Avatar, I get used to the 3D. So it's just part of the movie at that point, since they don't jump things out at you or whatever. I just I thought it was a cool idea for this movie because the two different worlds. But I stopped noticing it was in 3D after a while. So, yeah, I I think it totally makes sense to do this kind of movie in 3D where you're doing these alternate worlds, especially when you're doing this digital world. In my mind, it made total sense that you would need to see this movie in 3D. And so when I saw it, yeah, they did the regular 3D type stuff that you would expect. It just nothing special. For me, 3D, I vote this is only the second 3D movie I've seen. But if I go to see something in 3D, I want to be immersed in this world. That's what 3D means to me. And I just didn't, yeah, okay, I see depth perception going on in this film. Neat. It didn't do anything for me. It didn't enhance the experience, I guess. I was immersed in this world. I was surprised how much I was. And I walked out of there going, you know, maybe I need to reconsider my opinion on 3D because I really enjoyed it in this. And I'm glad they weren't using it gimmicky. I liked the depth it provided. And when they used it to its full effect, I was stunned. And I'll tell you, there's a moment in the film that we're going to talk about where I freaked out because of the 3D. So <laughs> cool. Looking forward to it. But I'm assuming it's not the first scene when he's talking to his son on the bed. Yes, that was absolutely it. I just was <laughs> because it freaked me out a little bit when he finally saw full face and his mouth was moving poorly. <laughs> it freaked me out. I was like, is it the Hall of Presidents at Disneyland? I mean, what's going on? I got to say, it looked really real. But yeah, the lip synchronization on young Jeff Bridges, be it early scenes of Kevin or the scenes of Clue, every so often it's like, those lips are a little off. 
little bit. And I love the idea, especially I thought they were going to play with us the whole time with having the back of his head and you could tell it's a younger guy. And when they actually kind of saw it a little bit from the side, it reminded me, of course, of the Hannibal Lecter thing. But I thought there it worked better because they just took his real face and the same with uh, Xavier and the X-Men, although he looked cartoony a little bit. But at least they cleared up lines. But here it looked like they did the Final Fantasy deal. They had the entire body or at least the, the head completely computer generated guy. And it, it worked, I'd say, 90 percent for me. Now, were you guys confused? Like they start doing shots of Sam's room. And he's got Tron merchandise all over the place. Yeah. And that like threw me off or something. I'm like, did the Tron movie really happen in this universe? <laughs> Why does he have Tron toys? But apparently Kevin Flynn is like the George Lucas of the Tron universe. He just cashed in and merchandised on his <laughs> video games, made toys and posters and everything. But it threw me off for a second. Like I was trying to get my bearings. Why are there Tron posters on the wall here? The actual Tron yes. poster. I'm like, is this gonna is this a Princess Bride? And he's just gonna tell him the story and they're gonna <laughs> Imagine what is going on. You know, I had the same thing, and I honestly thought maybe they were just writing off the first movie because, you know, we mentioned in the last podcast that they're not re-releasing it or anything. Maybe this is the sequel just to the arcade game, and the arcade game happened in the real world, but none of the first movie events happened. I actually thought that for a moment, but it really freaked me out because they look just like the figures that Hasbro's selling right now at Toys R Us. Yeah, they didn't look like that that Kenner vintage Star Wars style like you would expect. They they had the neon lights on them. Mm-hmm. They they look like they just grabbed something off the shelf at Toys R Us, you know, in the Tron section right now. So after this beginning scene, we get the here's what you need to know in news footage, which has been used since the dawn of time in movies to catch us up on where Kevin Flynn has been and what's going on now the next 20 years. Now, I realize this was being told to me in shorthand through the news footage. I was surprised at how much the story was actually working for me. I mean, it was very much shorthand, but you got the father-son dynamic in that first scene where he's flipping his son the quarter and talking about playing the games together and going to the arcade. And they're on the same team. Of course they are. I mean, dead dead giveaway for what's going to happen, you know, at the end. Mm-hmm. And then the father disappears and you get to see Kevin's parents all distraught. And I was surprised at how much I was actually a little bit affected by these scenes. And I'm like, honestly, going in, I I tried not to read any reviews of Tron Legacy, but when there's this much unbridled internet dislike for a film, it's hard to avoid it all. So I went in with very low expectations and I was really liking these early scenes. And I'm thinking, well, it's going to be like the first Tron. I really like the real world stuff. (laughs) Then we're going to get to the grid and I'm going to be bored. While these opening scenes certainly got me into the movie. I'm going to agree with you there. I really did get that father son dynamic instantly, but I knew exactly where it was going. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And especially with the motorcycle, when they show him running this needless action scene of him running from a cop to get out of a speeding ticket you know it's like oh they're telegraphing what's going to happen in the movie in the grid well you called it earlier in your plot summary and i felt that and the of course the the base jump were telegraphing that this kid can handle the games inside the grid that's all that was for yeah i really disliked the whole you know the motorcycle thing fine i could go with that but when you get to the base jumping i i turn to my wife who i went to this movie with i'm like oh are we in the dark night I mean, is this the scene where he breaks into the the Chinese, you know, CEO and kidnap? What is going on? What 20 something year old kid who grew up with the, you know, a trust fund baby. Is this Bruce Wayne? Is this, you know, it, I get that you could do that in the computer world. Why is it so over the top in the real world? I was on the same page as you. I'm like, oh, I think I saw this in the dark night. I kind of liked 
it, I mean, it, here's the thing. It was ridiculous, but it was exciting. <laughs> I liked it. I was like, wow, that's a really well-filmed, well-done action scene. And I was excited by it, even though in the back of my mind, it's like, why is he base jumping off a building in a city? The whole sequence and then breaking in with the security guard. Like I, I, I was into it. I love they brought back the big door. Loved it. And I just thought that whole scene was well done. The base jumping part. I'm with you on top of the whole thing. That overweight security guard actually yeah. went out on the post? I mean, stay on the roof, man. What are you doing? <laughs> Dude, the, I, I know what security guards make. They make like 10 bucks an hour. There's no way some security guard's going to crawl out and risk his life. I honestly thought he was going to like fall and then Sam was going to have to save him a la Batman. <laughs> okay. Well, he's not getting paid enough for that. I'll tell you that right now. It's just insane. It was insane. But, you know, what are you going to do? Let's talk a little bit about this scene. I mean, unfortunately, the whole plot with this OS-12 is completely dropped. But what we see is we see NCOM of today. And there's this new CEO. And we get to see Dillinger Jr., played by Killian freaking Murphy, who I absolutely love in everything I've ever seen him in. And I'm like, oh, my God, Killian Murphy's going to be the villain in this. I had no idea. I, I, how did I not know? And then they're talking about OS 12 and they're really playing NCOM up to be evil. Like, what's different? We put a 12 on the box and how this is going to be the most secure operating system everywhere. And I'm like, wow, I, I know what the plot of this movie is. And mm -hmm. then it's all completely dropped. <laughs> like I was watching a scene from a different movie. Why is Dillinger's son working for NCOM? Does that make any sense? His father was disgraced, a thief, a pirate. It makes as much sense. You know, I, I love the TV show The Office, but there's no damn sense in having Ryan come back and work for the company that he, he screwed over. It just it doesn't make sense. Why Dillinger is back. Like, I just rolled my eyes. Oh, it's Dillinger Jr. Really? It, why? Because Dillinger is in the first one. We want to give a nod to people who like that movie, who were able to track it down somehow since Disney tried to snuff it out of existence. Well, it, on top of that, Jacob, is I'd had the same thought process as Arnie did. I'm like, wow, they're going to bring Dillinger in back as the villain because Killian Murphy is here. And I'm like, wow, cool. What a great treat. And they come, as Arnie said, they completely drop it. He never come back at all. So why even have this character in hindsight? Why even have this character say, don't worry about it. I'll fix it right here. And he fixes the whole thing, right? Or at least he tries to at the computer keyboard showing his aptitude, it doesn't make any sense for him to be there at all, from what you're saying and what Arnie is saying, to, to the point where it, it seemed to me like there was a whole subplot they cut out of the movie. Let me tell you the movie I thought I was about to see at this point, and it's a story that I actually think is better than the one we got, okay? I thought it was going to be a complete retread of the first one, and in many ways this movie is, which we'll get to, but yeah. I thought that that yeah. new CEO and Killian Murphy were working together to expand global power. I thought there was going to be another master computer situation, but maybe the master computer was controlled by... When I saw it was Killian Murphy, I just figured he was evil because he plays evil really well. And all the time. Yeah, so... And <laughs> when the operating system gets out and it's the most secure ever, right? Killian starts doing something on the computer. I'm like, he's turning them all off. He's deactivating all the pirated copies because they are secretly feeding everything back to the MCP. And this operating system is... An operating system like a virus, kind of like Windows Vista, where <laughs> where it's going to get out there and harness everybody's computers and really take over. But through consumerism, it's like a Trojan horse. None of this happens. And I thought we'd go in the program and the operating system would be there, played by Killian Murphy. 
and come on, Killian Murphy, I, I I mean, I know he has played good guys in 28 Days Later, but he was coming off as slimy in the scene. And that CEO is coming off as slimy, and you've got Alan there like, what happened to giving away the OS for free? Don't I wish some company would give away an OS for free. <laughs> but he, he's like that, and the CEO's like, well, we put a 12 on the box. Everybody's coming off so slimy and evil, I felt I knew what this movie was immediately, and I was kind of happy with it. It was like an upgrade of the first one in with the internet and everything kind of made sense to me. And then it all got completely dropped, and I was kind of pissed about it. I didn't understand why the scene existed, period, besides having set up for Sam. Because he's a rebel. Those, we got to okay. show that he's a rebel. Okay, but all those people at the table know everything the man is telling them already. They are the top brass of this company. It's like on CSI when the people describe the process they're going to to get the stuff off the bullet. The person they're telling already knows this. So why are we bothering? And why are they having this meeting at night? <laughs> okay, that, that bugged me, but they talked about, I don't know what the time difference is with Japan, but I, oh. so I thought maybe it had to do with the Japan stock market opening, oh. but but that did bug me because earlier when Kevin's still around in the 80s, he's going to work at night to work in the grid. It's like, is that, I don't know, Arnie, do you do all your work at night? You do computers. Are you only working at night? I'm not only working at night, but I'm also working at night when I'm in crunch mode. Yeah. And I, and I do my, all my computer work at night after work. I mean, it, it is common stuff that if you're a programmer and you're working on something big, especially if you enjoy your work versus being an office drone, that you would work during the day and then like have a few hours of family time and then work all night. That's not uncommon. What is uncommon is that you're giving out shareholder reports to your board at like midnight. So, you know, we talked about the first film, how it felt so far ahead of its time when it came to computers. The scene where, you know, Sam, he he steals OS 12, he puts it on the Internet for free. This really seemed dated like they're trying to make some commentary on open source codes like with uh, Linux and maybe BitTorrents or so. I don't know. It, it just felt dated like they they wanted to say something about how they should be able to just give software away now. But they didn't really know what the current trend was. I think, Jacob, you hit on one of my major complaints about this movie was that the first one seemed so ahead of its time and so novel and interesting. And this movie seemed like it was just current. And it just seemed like a lot of the stuff in what I was seeing overall was either dated or just where it should be as opposed to breaking new ground and doing something different. I, I completely agree. I felt like this movie was behind the times. Mm, sure, yes. The graphics and all the movie making was state of the art they, they got those ps3 xbox 360 graphics going in this one. Oh come on much much better than that <laughs> much better man come much on. much better this is like <laughs> ps7 stuff here but i still i still play nintendo so i don't know <laughs> rocking the 8-bit i'm with you I'm, really, I'm there i love it too go ahead but the whole thing when we get on the grid you know in the first one you have kevin hacking a system and all of that with this one, it's like the grid is on a single computer. They can't infect other computers. There's no Skynet here, whereas the last one, MCP, was trying to be like Skynet. Here, it's like it's all trapped on Kevin's little bunker computer. And without this laser, they can't escape. It really made it feel small in scope. And that was one of my questions. Is this a different grid? Because in that first film, I asked you, I'm like, did they have the Internet back then? How were they getting all these computers from Russia or all these programs from Russia and stuff? This seems so much smaller. My wife, who's never seen the first one, she even said she's like, oh, I thought this like computer world was a lot bigger. It just seemed like it was a few people. It didn't seem like it was this huge world that I thought it would be. And well, I totally agreed. It seemed like this very confined space. And 
I, this movie, I, I was trying to figure out the time. I think it's supposed to take place in 2009. You know, somehow it's getting out to the phone lines to page people. It's obviously got a some kind of modem connection. Yeah, the 2400 baud is hooked up in Kevin's basement. <laughs> I guess, but why? You know, I want to see... BitTorrents is big digitalized pirate ships like floating around in space. You know, tie this into Pirates of the Caribbean. I want to see, you know, South Park, they did a great, you know, parody of Tron where they built it into Facebook and did this Tron Facebook world, which I thought was so much more relevant than this world I was seeing on, on the grid. It just felt like what I would expect in the 80s. Oh, here's a story that takes place on a little microchip that's not connected to the rest of the world. And that really, really bugged me. You are so right, because you have Kevin on one of his big speeches standing up there saying, our future is in this digital world. And he's saying that supposedly in the 80s. And you look at today where people are so connected and social media and everything where we are a step away from that horrible nightmare of where we just sit on our sofa, never moving, putting on our helmets and living in this virtual world. I, I talk to people, including my own family, a lot more on Facebook than I do face to face. So they really could have tried some kind of social commentary. And they tried that in the first one where they were trying to make some parallel between our life and the grid life and with the colors and things we talked about that in the last podcast here none of it nothing and i i wanted that because it's so relevant today i mean one of the movies that's getting the highest praise this year the social network is all about this digital world we live in and now you have this movie about a digital world that says nothing about our life it's a huge waste yeah, I completely agree with both everything you're saying, guys. And Kevin was working on this secret project, so it wasn't released yet. Keeping it on that one computer, I don't understand why they did that either. I felt this movie was a complete missed opportunity in all the ways you're saying and more because what we get is they're trying, I guess they're trying to go for the emotional connection with father and son that we talked about earlier. Even that didn't really work for me as well. So what they tried to make the movie instead didn't work for me either. I think they missed a huge opportunity. It's a Tron movie. And what we have from the first movie, expand on it. Maybe they were so scared about the reception of the first movie that they try to shy away from those kind of things. What you said, Brock, were the words I have in my notes, missed opportunities. Because as soon as the credits were rolling... I started writing down all the things they could have done with this movie to improve upon the story and make it more relevant. They did none of it. It has no social relevance. You know, one of the big things about science fiction stories in general, and perhaps the epitome of it is the old original Star Trek series where you try to make a social statement through science fiction, thus having both an insidious way of telling a social statement or making a comment on today's life through fiction and saying things you perhaps couldn't say straight up wouldn't be accepted through this medium. Tron Legacy says nothing. But, you know, that that is a problem with it. As we'll get into, I don't think it's a fatal flaw, but it's a missed opportunity, as Brock said. They get Sam on the grid fairly quickly. Sam goes to Flynn's Arcade, which, as Jacob mentioned last time, it, it just was taking me back to San Diego Comic-Con. And he brings up the power, and I've just got this big grin on my face because Journey is still playing on the jukebox. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Actually, one of the biggest laughs this movie got, the next song that comes up is Sweet Dreams. Uh-huh. Yeah. And everyone just started laughing because it's just so nostalgic. And honestly, though, with Journey playing and you've got Sam and he's all full of angst and he's in this arcade. I'm like, is this the scene where he dances out of anger? <laughs> oh, right. In the warehouse. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 
And then he finds the secret bunker and sits right in front of a big laser. I don't think he noticed the, the laser. No, he didn't. But yeah. I, I always try not to sit at things that could shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> this is the same laser, right? It is. Uh, they took Grandpa's laser and brought it to the bunker. I also try not to do things that say activate laser without knowing what the hell I'm doing. Yeah, because it said laser. Do you want to, like, open the laser aperture? And he hits yes. <laughs> Yeah, let's see what this does. Like lasers to me, usually I think of a laser. I think of people dying, you know, (laughs) G.I. Joe, even though the lasers never hit anyone in the show. Or laser pointers pointed at airplanes. Yes. Lasers aren't a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, All right. Let's just start the laser. Let's not look for the laser. I mean, how does he know it's not the beam in space from real genius? And it's going (laughs) to pop his popcorn. Yes. I, I got to so he activates this laser and, you know, we talked about this laser effect. It's one of those scenes that always stuck with me, even though I hadn't seen that film in 28 years or however long it'd been. I was totally underwhelmed. Like it, the laser shoots and then all of a sudden he's inside. Like in the, in the original, you had all those weird light show effects. And I'm like, oh, man, this would make great 3D. I was actually really anticipating the laser scene in this film just because it was 3D and it was upgraded effects. And now the laser goes off and he's in the grid. Right there with you. I was like, really? That's it? I mean, in the last one, Kevin's fingers are digitized and everything. And I was so freaked out as a kid. And that stuck with me all those years, too. And here, the screen kind of pixelates and now he's in the grid. I I was pissed. I was pissed. I'm like, that's it? You got all this technology and that's what you're giving me. You're both dead on. I had the same thought. But here's how underwhelmed I was by it. I completely forgot that they didn't do the real laser effect because it was so underwhelming. You're absolutely right, guys. And I asked my wife afterwards, I'm like, do you know how we got in the computer? She's like, well, it showed that laser go off. So I'm guessing that's how. I mean, because she hadn't seen the first one. So it's like, if you weren't familiar with that first, the first Tron, I'm like, yeah, it shows a quick shot. And I guess you just assume that's how he got in there. But finally, we're on the grid. I was glad they got us to the grid quicker this time than last time. That was Mm -hmm. something I was really happy about. I was kind of worried going in, knowing this was a longer movie at 127 minutes. I was worried about the pacing after the first one. Glad we got on the grid real quick. But then, wow, it felt like at times, especially during these scenes, that I was watching a remake. Because he's on the grid, he's immediately captured, and taken to a disc fight. Well, yes and no. I, I think they jumped right into the games, and that was fun, I guess, in, in a sense. But the whole thing with those four girls in the white suits and dressing him and things, that wasn't in the first movie. <laughs> That's true. They need new fetish ideas for women to dress up as at San Diego Comic-Con next year. I just want to say I'm all for women dressing up like that as future San Diego Comic-Cons, or you know what? Here in town. That's fine, too. In your bedroom. It's, hey, you know what? Wherever they want to go, I'll support that. Going back to the first Tron, they never really gave a reason for the games. You just assumed, you know, it was old Rome with the, the Christians being thrown to the lions. I was hoping that they had somehow update why they were still playing these old games to de- delete, you know, old programs. I mean, and that was one of the things my wife asked me. She's like, why? Why did they play games? She's like, I don't understand why. I'm like, I, because that's how they delete programs they don't like in this world, apparently. They never really explained it. I was hoping, you know, all, we talked about with the first Tron how... They don't explain anything, really. We need to get off the grid, and they just know how to get off the grid. Like, I, ju- I was hoping they would fill in some of those gaps that they use. You know, Arnie, you said missed opportunities. I, I just felt they kept missing those opportunities to improve. That- that's fine. If they want to just do this as an upgrade of the first Tron film, here's the Frisbee fight with better Frisbees, and here's the light cycle fight with light cycle races with better light cycles. That's fine. But fill in those gaps. Give me what that first one was missing, at least. Yeah. Well, yeah. Here they also have 
spectators to the games, which I don't think we really had in the first one. There's these massive crowds, and Clue is playing to the crowds. He gives the speech, and his wonderful little sycophantic second-in-command tells him how much the crowds love the speech. It's like, okay, well, here's another chance for a social commentary. I have a friend who claims that Britney Spears was paid by the George W. Bush administration to act crazy so that nobody pays attention to what the government's doing. Everybody's paying attention to what Britney's doing. And they could have done something like that with Clue. I mean, why does Clue care that programs are enthralled by the games? Or is it so they don't notice he's rounding up programs and creating a slave army? I mean, it's never explained why Clue has to enthrall the masses. These games are in the stadium, like the Gladiator Arena thing that we keep talking about. But for the life of me, I didn't understand who was in the stands. Now, we all know that everybody here is a program, but they didn't tell us that those people in the stands are programs. Later in the movie, we'll talk about it. They go to a nightclub. Why is there a nightclub? I don't, this doesn't make any sense that these programs have these, they didn't explain at all why these programs have a social life, have a need for socialization, have a city, have an arena to visit and watch games. It doesn't make, they don't explain any of that at all. You know, I, I, I just got to wonder, is that sometimes why like iTunes is so slow to open up or, or <laughs> They're just chatting. because it's busy watching a Frisbee fight on the grid? <laughs> Here's my deal. We, we talked about Clue and he gives this big speech and gets the crowd ready for these big games. What is Clue's motivation? It's said early on that he was created by Kevin to create this perfect world. It, again, you get this infection from social networks, you know, grab up some farmers to represent Farmville and kill them because that's wasting people's time. That's inefficient. You know, either have Clue be this self-aware thing that's going to where he wants to turn himself against the humans and destroy him, a la Skynet, or have him be, you know, like an iRobot where I need to create this perfect world. Humans are imperfections. I need to get rid of them. You know, I just never understood his motivation. It was just like, hey, we had games in the first one. Let's continue that, but on a bigger scale. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There's no motivation for the games. I did get his motivation for the perfect world. I mean, as a programmer, one of the first things that we teach in classes is that computers are dumb and they will do exactly what you tell them. You can tell a computer to to read the same sector of your hard drive over and over until that sector is dead. A computer will just follow instructions. Kevin was a stupid programmer who said, build a perfect world and clue that was his objective build a perfect world you know very robotic he was going to do what it said and so if that meant killing kevin then he'd kill kevin for that perfect world i got that part how a gladiator arena is a perfect world it, it seems rather inefficient here's the thing one if you're building a perfect world why is your little minion look like a troll i thought he was going to be an iso i really yeah, did yeah too. me too like, why do you, if you're so, like, make them look like the, the SS, you know, go back to that imagery. Don't have these weird little troll-like creatures running around if you're supposed to be in charge of creating this perfect universe. And two, so he's supposed to create this perfect world. Then why does he, you know, let's get into the ISOs. Why does he turn against them? Because they were making a perfect world. Why? I, to me, it just seemed like jealousy that Kevin turned his affection towards the ISOs instead of Clue, and Clue was just jealous. So he overthrew him and just destroyed them all. Jealousy wouldn't work because he's a computer program. That's how it played to me in the movie. It could have been jealousy. I honestly thought it was jealousy. I also see imperfection, though, in that in a perfect computer world, there's no spontaneity, and these came out of nothing. Therefore, they must be bad. Did you notice they didn't use the word virus? Ever. 
ever. That's a pretty big part of computer worlds now. Everyone knows what those are. And not that I'm saying they want to go to a hack-eyed place of like the rebellion is a virus kind of thing. They could have, though, because they might as well have. They went to a lot of other cliches in movie telling these days in this movie. But you would think that's something that people nowadays who are more familiar with computers can latch on to if you're going into a computer world. Oh, Christ. I mean, viruses, firewalls, they should have incorporated all of it. Right. So if even if they didn't use that in as a plot point, at least in passing, say they were a virus and you can misunderstand it. They didn't even use the word. And how about just a passing joke? You have a program coughing. Oh, he has a virus. Yeah, there's so. Oh, it frustrates me. There's so much potential in this movie. They piss it away so much. When watching the hours of making a material for the first movie, they spent so much time researching computers and talking to programmers, and that's how they were so ahead of their time. This time, it's computers as envisioned by an old Hollywood screenwriter whose usage of a computer is he turns on a word processor. (laughs) And writes a screenplay on it. Yeah, there was no research. There was nothing. He didn't even read a newspaper. So the first game we have is the Flying Discs, I believe. Yes, and they shatter the floor just like the last one. But yet, at this point, I feel like I'm watching a remake, but an upgrade. Well, I I disagree because I I think it's upgraded visually, but I'm not interested in what's going on. I felt I've seen this scene in other movies before, whereas in the first Tron movie with the flying discs, even for the last viewing, I was sitting there on my couch loving the scene. This one, even though it's a flying disc scene with all these acrobatics and things like that, I didn't care. I thought thought how he killed the the big guy with shattering the floor was pretty cool, pretty smart. But I didn't really – well, I wasn't excited by the scene at all. You liked this scene? Oh, yeah. I thought it was very well filmed. I thought it was exciting. I thought it was pretty. It It was was, pretty. It was well choreographed (laughs) action, and I was kind of into it. And the discs were flying at me, and honestly, my pulse was racing a little bit. I was in the scene. I was like, I wish there was a little bit more. I kind of missed the humor of the kind of pudgy actuarial program going to kick <laughs> your ass. But I liked this scene the way it went the first time. When it was round two, I was like, oh, well, we just did this. And Artie, I agree with you. I, I thought it looked beautiful. It, it was well choreographed. Here, here's my problem is or that similar scene from the first Tron film. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it builds on Kevin Flynn's character. He's not willing to kill this other program. He, there's some kind of humanity that he connects with that program. Now you have Sam. They don't use it to build character. They use it to just go, oh, he he's the rebel kid. And he, he doesn't question it. He's like, oh, I'm just going to kill these. Now, maybe if they had set him up as like some stoner kid that just plays, you know, Call of Duty all day and they somehow tie that in there, fine. That would make sense. But I was really expect, you know, it's during this scene that the grid finds that out that Sam is a... a user because he bleeds apparently which mm-hmm. i i don't quite understand that because from what we learned about the you know they don't explain the laser at all in this film but i'm still holding that knowledge from the original is that any actual physical atoms are kept in the laser beam this is just a digital version of him so i'm not sure why he could bleed that, that didn't make a lot of sense to me but why not use that he has some human trait that he's not willing to kill this other thing because it looks like a person i disagree that it's not that he couldn't bleed because i mean it's not like the matrix where his body was still sitting in the chair but his consciousness was in the grid he was in the grid it was a transformation i never got the impression in the first movie arnie that you actually have blood in your system i thought exactly what jacob thought when he bled here, they also don't bring it back later on, Jacob. They leave it alone. They just have it in this one spot. So, again, missed opportunity. <laughs> you guys are right that it's a, a fine action scene, but I just didn't feel that it involved me at all. Furthermore, 
they had the guy with the black helmet on, who I guess later on we've turned out to be Tron. I thought that was Killian Murphy, and I thought that was going to be the big reveal, and he stays in his mask the entire movie. That was disappointing to me as well. I, I, they, they set these things up for me, and they don't pay off. I thought it was Killian, too. And so the flying discs, you have to have the flying discs in a Tron movie. I completely agree with, with having the, the scene in the movie. I just wanted something more. I wanted to be Tron 2.0. I wanted something more. And what they gave me with more was the visuals, modern-day kind of action scene where people jump around and do acrobatics and stuff. But I really wanted to do is show me something new. This is Tron. And they try to do that a little bit with the light cycles, but we'll get there. I'm just going to take the opposite stance. I thought, you know, we're not seeing a different movie. We're seeing a sequel. So mm-hmm. with a sequel, there's certain expectations. We're going back because we liked what we got the first time, theoretically, although none of us liked what we got the first time. <laughs> but in theory, when you have a sequel, you're, you're trying to bring back some of the magic and some of the greatest hits from the first one. But you want to up it, which they did. I I thought they were successful in that. Exactly. That's what I was saying is I didn't want new. I wanted better. And this was the same, but better. And I loved it. And it was a great use. Round two bothered me. Round three, love the introduction of Rensselaer. Little side note. This will mean something, I think, to listeners of Star Wars Action News. Rensselaer, the program, named after author Jonathan Rensselaer who is the author of Making of Star Wars, Making of Empire Strikes Back. I've interviewed him a couple of times on Star Wars Action News. Cool. When did you guys figure out, let's, I want to hit this now, when did you guys figure out Rinsler was Tron? Well, he had a T on his chest. <laughs> <laughs> he held the disc above his head. Yeah, I mean, I it, I knew Tron was going to show up somehow. I, I'm probably about halfway through because he kept coming back. I'm like, oh, okay. Because I'm like, where's Tron? Tron's got to come up at some point in this film. And, and finally, I'm like, oh, He's got a T on his chest and he keeps showing up. It's Tron, but evil. He really had a T on his chest? Yeah, it, it's three dots and then a dot below. It wasn't like a big obvious T, but it was a T. Oh, I did not uh, notice the T on the chest. For some reason, I didn't think it. And until they gave it to us later, and I'm like, of course. How did I? So I am mad at myself for not picking it up. And I wanted to call myself out on it. <laughs> I actually know the moment I figured it out, and it was before they told me, I'm happy to say. I knew Tron was probably coming back when I should have gotten it, and I didn't. It's when we get the flashback and we see Tron saving Kevin, and Mm -hmm. Tron is fighting with two discs. That's when we're supposed to get it, I think. Yeah, right. right. I got it for some strange reason right after the nightclub fight, and we get this close-up and Rinsler has pulled himself up from the ledge and saved himself. And I'm like, all right, we're still never seeing Rinsler's face. And I, I'm thinking, who is Rinsler? Who's Rinsler? And that's just, I, I, again, I kept thinking Killian Murphy, but I'm like, no, all of a sudden, bam, it's Tron. And so I got it later than I feel I should have. I should have gotten it with the Tron two disc scene because they keep making a big deal. Rinsler has two discs. Cause he's like Darth Maul. We talked about how yes. Tron played on Star Wars a lot. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I, there's times where I'm like, oh, double savers, Darth Maul. So then we get the reveal that I think all of us knew that it was Clue because he was wearing yellow. It made me smile that they brought back Clue. You know, I know it's a different Clue, but, you know, it's just the little details that I like, the attention to detail with a sequel, and especially a sequel that's 20 some odd years old. When I saw the first one, I kind of liked the Clue character we talked about. I, I was glad to see they brought back a Clue. Now, were we supposed to be shocked that it was Clue and not Kevin? I mean, maybe that was shocking to little kids watching the film, but I thought that was pretty transparent. I just there's so many things in this film. I don't know if they were supposed to surprise us 
or if they knew that we would already know because there very little this film surprised me. But I mean, the second it shows it's Jeff Bridges, but it's a younger version. I'm like, OK, it's Clue because we already know that Kevin at the beginning of the film said, oh, I created Clue in my image. So I just I don't know if this was supposed to shock us or not. I do like that they had the line in there. I am not your father. I, I thought that was a great <laughs> little line, you know, playing off the whole Empire Strikes Back thing. So then we get to the light cycles. And of course, the light cycles, I think, are I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's everybody's favorite memory of Tron. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. If it's mm-hmm. not, then there's something wrong with you. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and you know what? Even though the graphics were better this time. I actually preferred the 80s light cycle to this one. Even though we talked about last podcast, it was confusing and all. I liked the light cycles being able to turn 90 degrees instead of having to curve. And part of me was thinking, well, it's like games. Now games are 3D instead of having just 2D and they can curve and all. But I and I didn't like that it was a like parking garage that they were doing the light cycles in. They kept going up ramps and down ramps. <laughs> To me, it just didn't seem to have – they didn't seem as fast-paced as I remember the original light cycles. They It seemed – they weren't slow, but they, I don't know. There was just something off. I, I expected a, a faster-paced motion, and it's – you know, of course, they're going to do the slow motion thing. You know, I love, love the scene. You find – you know, they, they hand them the light cycle handrails. They hand it to Sam, and he's like – he's holding it like a lightsaber, which I thought was great. And, and they're like, no, that's not how you use it. And what you do is you run, you crack it open, and it turns into this light cycle, and the two halves of that bar are, are the handlebar. I thought just amazing. I love that they did that in slow motion so you could see all the physics of it. But I wish the actual – light cycle race or competition that it was quicker it just they didn't seem you know i wanted pod racing where it's fast paced it just didn't seem to have that quickness to it that i would expect something called a light cycle to have and i completely agree with both of you i want it to be 90 degree angles again and uh, although it looked pretty (laughs) i was not into the scene as much as the first time i'm right there with you both yeah i just i was very disappointed but at this point wow the deja vu was hitting me hard i'm like well we got the disc we got the light cycle is he gonna break out of the grid during the light cycle oh yes he is <laughs> and he, they blow a hole through the wall and drive out of the stadium like i yep. oh i was furious <laughs> like they couldn't come up with a new way to get off the grid <laughs> at least this time they didn't have the conversation we got to get off the grid somehow i mean at least they didn't do that again but oh I know, but I, it was a little different in that somebody broke onto the grid and we weren't supposed to know who she was. I was actually, I had no clue. I thought it was, I thought it was going to be Kevin driving the big ATV, but Come it on, was. I showed her watching the, the, them get ready for the race at the beginning of the scene. You had to know it was her. But she had a mask on. I didn't know who it was watching. I thought it was Kevin. You didn't see the boobs? You, you think Kevin walks around with shoulderless Tron outfit? And boobs? <laughs> Sorry, Brock. I, I was looking a little higher than that. I'm not a pro. You didn't see the. I mean, obviously she's not <laughs> three D down, dude. But she, they're boobs, and she, she's a chick. I mean, I, I knew it was her instantly from the poster. I knew she was in the movie. Uh, but yeah, I knew it was her. And and the Batmobile was pretty neat. I mean, I was thinking the Batmobile, and they go into the Batcave, the whole thing. And then and then when he gets to the apartment, it's the Dark Knight. Uh, yes, yes, uh, thing. The uh, place where they back cave, replacement back cave in the Dark Knight. It was Wayne Towers. Yeah, wherever wherever he was. That, yeah, wherever they. I didn't see the Batmobile relation to this, but yeah, you were completely right. But, you know, looking at Kevin's house and the light cycles, I got to say, you know how you've read the news articles about those idiots who wanted to kill themselves because they thought heaven was Pandora from Avatar? Mm, I'm a step away from that with Tron. 
I want to live on the grid. I love the aesthetic. I love it was around the time we get to Kevin's house and everything's so clean and spacious and water. And oh, I just I want to go to there. <laughs> I'm not so dumb. I'm going to kill myself thinking heaven is the grid. Boom. No, no. Just shoot yourself with your uh, pen laser and maybe <laughs> I'll put you inside your map. <laughs> the, the aesthetic of this world is stunning with its lights and darks and when there's color, it's so vibrant. I was just astounded and just loving all the lines of the modernness. I, I just, I want my house to be Kevin's house from that movie. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Uh, they have books, they have the chairs, they see, and they had the whole scene later on when Clue goes there. It seemed like they were saying to us, that's real world objects in the computer world. Did he zap all that shit on purpose there? That's and what I was wondering. Did he scan all of Jules Verne's novels into, you know, with a scanner? Or did he steal those from Google Book? Here's what I thought of them. I thought they were data files. I thought they were, you know, everything we're seeing is personification of something digital. Right. I, I thought those were the personification of a data file. It's not a program, so it doesn't have personality. It's a data file. This is how a, a book would look if you buy a Kindle. These were Kindles. You know, it was software for your Kindle. But, but yet, when Clue goes there, they're kind of confused by what he has this little troll minion, you exactly. know, holding the book sideways because he doesn't really know what it is. So, I mean, right. it was something that was foreign to the rest of the grid. Have you ever tried to drag your Kindle file into iTunes? It just doesn't work out right. <laughs> okay. Um, I still read books. Yeah. Further, <laughs> furthermore, they have dinner and. Hey, they got the water from the first film. But it didn't do anything. They didn't get jazzed. I know. They don't explain it. Actually, it's just like, hey, if you saw the first film. But anyway, they have dinner what are they eating where did it come from how is it there none of this explained except See, I, I i didn't question it that much because i've seen the matrix so I, mm -hmm. i'm just assuming if they're not going to tell me the physics of this world i just have to assume them so okay. i was just assuming similar physics from the matrix where it's just digital stuff and that's how it's represented but yeah i mean they don't explain why they need to eat a roasted pig uh, yeah, I want to know where the pig came from. I really did. I was looking at it. If you're all Zen, why are you eating? You know, most people that are real Zen, like Kevin Flynn has become on the grid or outside of the grid, they're, they're not usually slaughtering animals to eat them. Just saying. And, and then they said that early in the movie that him and Clue were there creating the world inside the computer. So it's possible, as in the first movie, he has the abilities to create things in the computer world while he's there. He was fixing the girl later on in the movie. So all that's possible. He created all this stuff there. But since they explained everything else, I would have liked that just a quick little thing of him whipping up the food would explain exactly what I'm talking about here. Yeah, just like, hey, this is going to re-energize your bites. Something yeah, like that. It's it. And if they were eating food, it didn't have to be green beans and pig. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been bits and bites or something. Right. Which made a cameo, right? Those little two balls and his foyer thing. Uh, they look like Mr. Bit from the first movie, right? Speaking of balls, why did Clue have <laughs> Benyawa balls? <laughs> Oh, no. I don't know, man. <laughs> they were the coolest Benoit balls ever. True. But, I mean. <laughs> See, I got I got the idea is that how he that's how he controlled that arena for. Yes. Because he shows him reverse the rotation. And then that's when the arena flips over and gravity's reversed. But I don't know why it had to be Benoit balls. <laughs> He's a program. He sits there to make a perfect world. He can't just think it and reprogram the arena to spin around the other way. I don't well, know. He's not. He's not. Kevin. Kevin could do that. I guess Clue needed Benoit balls. What a strange thing. So we get to see Jeff Bridges as Kevin now, old Kevin. I really like Jeff Bridges' performance in this movie. I like how the two characters seemed very different. I mean, sure, one had facial hair and that helped me visually, but also I thought his performance in this was just tremendous as Clue. 
I'm not sure if I like the whole the dude from the Big Lebowski vibe he kept giving to Kevin, though. <laughs> With Jeff Bridges' performance as Kevin, I, I like that he kind of still had that way of speaking and that whole "Hey, dude" type thing that he had in the first film. Now, my wife asked, she's like, "If that if he's supposed to be from the '80s, why did he talk like a beatnik?" I'm like, "Well, he's just kind of this hippie dude. It came off very different to her since she hadn't seen the first one, but." I, I, I like that he still had that kind of personality, that he's kind of, you know, the lighthearted. It, it, and it, it's funny because, you know, True Grit's coming out, which Jeff Bridges is in. And every time I saw him in this film, I, I kept waiting for that that hard Western accent that I keep seeing in the trailers for True Grit. I agree. And I, and I, I liked what Jeff Bridges was doing. It I did get the dude off it, especially since he was wearing robes. And at one point, he looked like Obi-Wan Kenobi from episode two. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I got that whole vibe and, and I dug it. He said man a couple of times. He did. It's the dude because we know him as the dude. But if we remember the first movie, he was doing that stuff there. So it worked for me completely. I liked him as Kevin and I liked him as Clue. I was going to say, I don't remember him doing that that much in the first movie. You know, in the first movie, it, it just felt more natural, like just a conversational way of speaking there whereas here it felt very affected okay i guess i see uh and i gotta say i've only seen the big lebowski once I'm gonna alienate all my listeners by saying i didn't like it we'll never watch mm. it again actually you have to watch the big lebowski more than once and you'll understand because i had the same reaction the first time but it's not like i see bridges and i think the dude because i really don't more than anything, I think Starman. But when he kept going, it's cool, man. I, 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 it brought back memories 12 years old of seeing Lebowski. When he goes off on that speech, when he explains the ISOs and he, he throws out some line like, it's like bio digital jazz, man. Like, I'm like, what the hell is going on? What is he talking about? I don't even know what's happening now. I'm Welcome like, to Tron, smooth jazz here yeah, on the grid. I'm like, what? I actually got it, but that's only because of George Lucas. Okay, maybe you can explain what bio-digital jazz is to me, because I I had no idea what was going on when, when he was delivering some of those lines. I, I took it as jazz being just kind of riffing with no plan, and just it's working together musically, but it's all spontaneous, verse, and only because it was in a computer world, it was bio-digital. Okay, since we're talking about bio-digital jazz, the ISOs. This is the scene where you find out what they are and what this, you know, early on in the film, Kevin talks about this miracle. He discovered the miracle and you find out it's the ISOs. So is this just a logarithms that could just figure out complex formulas for stuff that and that's how it was going to change medicine and religion? Like, I didn't really understand what the big deal was with the ISOs that, yeah, they came out of nowhere, but were they able to just process stuff that no human made microchip could do? What, What was going on? Good question. I, and you know what? <laughs> so I'm not the only one that was no. lost. I, in nope. fact, it was bull crud. <laughs> because there was so much of this movie. What are these ISOs going to do? How are they going to change life? So we're having a new life form because they used to be a computer. And we're going to bring them into the real world. It's going to change everything. How's it going to cure AIDS? How's it going to cure cancer? I, that's what I didn't get. It didn't make any sense. They didn't how's explain it, it except biodigital jazz. How's it going to solve religion? Not solve, change. It was going to change gonna religion. Change, change religion, excuse me. How? How? Because we see the creation. There, There is no God. There is spontaneity. 
they were created in a digital world spontaneously, but they are autonomous life forms. Therefore, there is no God who created us because nothing created the Isos. So the midichlorians created it by themselves. It, well, <laughs> the midichlorians are the will of the force. Here there is no will. It's just spontaneity. It's just chaos. Yeah, chaos. It's going to destroy religion, basically. It's going to get rid of the religious fanatics by proving there's no God. I mean, one of the themes of this film is is order versus chaos, and that's that's Kevin's arc, is that he was all about order, and he learns to embrace chaos, and that's what these ISOs are, chaos. Now, how chaos is going to, su- you know, cure people of AIDS, I, I, biodigital jazz doesn't really explain that to me. I mean, I made up the whole AIDS cancer thing, but I'm like, how are they going to change anything? No, but that's what they imply, that it's going to solve everything. They specifically it's- say medicine. I want to know yeah. how it's going to change medicine. Yeah, right. And for if they're supposed to embody chaos... Wouldn't they be more chaotic? They seem to all just kind of walk in a single file line and then and build skyscrapers. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> They're the doozers. And the skyscraper <laughs> seemed pretty perfect to me. It yeah. didn't seem to have some structural flaws. And that's that's what I don't get with Clue is why he turns against them because they seem pretty orderly. Now, if they were building, you know, you you get like organic architecture where it looks like ant hills. If they were doing something like that where you know, it just looked weird and chaotic. Okay, maybe I could get why Clue was against that, but they just walk in a straight line and build buildings. What? I mean, they seem like the perfect drones to build Clue's perfect world. I, it, it just doesn't make sense. Completely agree. The- maybe it's maybe it's setting it up for the sequel. <laughs> no, because they killed all of them but Quora. Well, or did they? Well, true. There was a lot of stuff in here that was setting up for a sequel, though. There really was. Speaking of Quora, was that reveal a shock to you guys that she was the last ISOs? Uh, I was more shocked that when she got her arm cut off, she completely shut down. But other people in the earlier in the movie, die. when they had half their head cut off, they're still alive or they die. Yeah. So, but her arm, she completely shuts down, and then later on, she has to reboot. And I'm like, what? I just had to wonder, you know, the ISOs, they all have this weird, like, birthmark or tattoo. Yeah. So if you're the last of your race, you know uh, there's this culture that's committing genocide against your race, and you have this mark that identifies you as that race. Why do you run around with half your arm uncovered? (laughs) Like, you would think she'd have, like, triple bandages over that thing. But no, she's running around with her shoulderless Tron outfit. Well, it's not like she's out in public that often anyway. She lives with the old man. She, you know, she's basically Kendra out with half. <laughs> I got that vibe, actually. Wow. <laughs> so. That's like dead on, dude. <laughs> That's funny. Um, So after the conversation with the father and son and the father wants to stick around instead of, you know, just wants to doesn't want to give Clue any opportunities. The son decides I can defeat him from the outside. I'm going to go for the tower. Cora gives him information to go to see Zeus. And that gets us to the nightclub. Three things about this. Three things. First of all, Zeus, Z-U-S-E. Anyone know on this call who who Zeus is? I don't. Zeus is a German engineer who created like the first high-level programming language. So I thought as a programmer, that was a very cool reference. I'm big into programming history and geeky things like that. So you're one of a million who have gotten that. (laughs) I knew there had to be some reason they were calling him Zeus. And I, I watched the credits to see how they spelled it to see if it was different than because I was thinking Zeus, the Me too. Greek god. And, and I noticed it was spelled different. So I figured it, it had to be some 
weird computer geeky thing like Arnie would be into. Yeah, I was surprised because I also thought they were doing like Zeus God of Thunder or mm-hmm. w- when they said it. And it would, took me a little while to realize because Z-U-S-E, is, he's not one of the first names that come to mind, you know, when it comes to computer pioneers. It's not like Pascal, who's a real guy, you know, mm-hmm. in addition to a programming language. So they really went obscure on that one. But I'm guessing since they showed no other computer knowledge, they just hit Wikipedia. Second, I wish that they would have explained how Quora knew Zeus. Because Zeus is working with Clue, and I would have liked to have seen some backstory there to explain it. They dropped a couple of lines. It, it kind of implied a romantic relationship. Well, it said that, that Zeus kind of helps the rebellious forces and that he was an advocate of the Isos. And that's how she kind of knew him, because she's a re- rebel, too. And the third thing is this is my absolute favorite scene of the whole freaking movie, and Michael Sheen steals the film. Well, I, I got to say one thing leading up to this scene again just ticked me off you see kevin flynn's light cycle this white one and we're told mm-hmm. it's the fastest one around and then sam takes i'm like awesome we're gonna get some awesome chase scene no he uses the light cycle to trade it with some bum program to get his <laughs> coat what the you don't build why did you have to put in the line that it's the fastest light cycle around just say oh yeah that's your dad's light cycle like you say drop a line like that there's an expectation Like, this Mm -hmm. is just bad screenwriting. Honestly, when they said this was the fastest light cycle ever and it was the old light cycle because it was an actual vehicle instead of the handlebar, I honestly thought, no wonder the last light cycle scene was so sucky, they were saving it. And this one's going to turn 90 degrees. Yep. I thought they were going to go a retro scene with the light cycles going 90 degrees, and I didn't get it. No, I I was upset about that, too. He used it to trade for a coat. (laughs) Well, he also to get them off his tail, right, to give it a distraction. And, you know, to look more like Anakin Skywalker. So he goes into the nightclub, and you said Michael Sheen steals the movie for you. You thought that performance was great. I will completely concede that Michael Sheen did a wonderful performance in this movie. He was a cross between the Riddler and the Cabaret MC. I completely disagree that it belonged in this movie. Oh, he was in a totally different movie? Completely different movie. But one I liked better. Okay. Yes, this this is the one scene. I finally there's something I really really liked about this movie, and I was willing to go with the movie if it could keep up this kind of tone. I mean, you got Michael Sheen. I'm thinking David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, sure, sure. crazier. Why didn't they get Bowie for this this role? Like the whole time, I was thinking Bowie. You know, I was also thinking the French Midgivorian or whatever his name is from Matrix Reloaded. And I don't know if that's something you want to bring up memories of in your film. But this <laughs> old nightclub scene brought up Matrix Reloaded to me. Yep, you're not alone on that too. Only better. You know what, though? I got to say they they got me because they have Michael Sheen as Castor and I'm kind of liking him. They pull a Yoda, right? Oh, come on. That tricked you? Yeah, I I fell for it. And like Brock not getting that Rinsler was Tron. I'm usually more up on these. But when Castor revealed himself to be Zeus, I'm like, you got me. Very good. You got me. Well, it's the Yoda thing. I mean, that that kind of trick really works on me anymore. But I like Michael Sheen and I thought he added a lot of life. But he stuck out like a sore thumb. And and so I, I just didn't understand why he went so far with it in this movie. Again, he was good, but it didn't fit. 
and it, it, it kind of was rubbing me the wrong way. This entire nightclub scene it doesn't make any sense to me why there's a nightclub at all, why they're drinking things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they had this in the last movie, though. You know, they had programs socializing in the last movie, too. And that one little tiny little thing that we all said we don't understand why these people look so <laughs> yeah. weird and why, they're, and why they're there. It was a minute, a second quick thing. Here, they don't explain anything at all about the arena people or these people here or how people work or how programs are or the, anything like that in the city they created, they don't explain why they did it. And so apparently it didn't bother you, but I didn't understand what was going on here except that they needed to find this guy and they wanted a set piece. I wasn't going to let it bother me to the point that it took me out. I did kind of wonder, like, you know, that one siren girl comes up and helps take Sam to Zeus. Right. And, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry we had to meet like that. I'm like, so are you off duty? Is this after hours? Are, are you no longer loyal to Clue? You work nine to five. <laughs> I took her as kind of a spy that had infiltrated. So all these programs that would come in for the game, she was kind of checking out, seeing if they could use them. Because it, it implies that Zeus is kind of trying to establish this rebellion or at least helping the rebels. Right. So that that's how I took it, is that she was yes. just kind of this inside woman. Really? I took yes. her as evil because... Bo Garrett may be a great guest model, but she is not a good actress. And I'm like, she's evil. Do you think any of the sirens were casted because they were good actresses? No, but I'm saying you actually (laughs) thought she was on the rebellion side because I'm just like, she's evil. She's evil. She's evil. And then when she hung around (laughs) with Caster, I'm like, Caster's evil. I mean, it was because she was there. I'm like, Caster is going to screw them over now. But I thought at first she was trying to like be clue spy. And that's why she was hanging on Sam and going up to see Zeus. But once she knew he was Zeus, I'm like, they're all freaking evil. I got to say, Brock, you said none of this, this scene didn't make any sense to you. Why is there a nightclub? It didn't make sense to me. But at least I was at having fun for once in this film yeah i think that's why i enjoyed it finally you know one of the things with the original tron is it just seemed to take itself so seriously most of the time and i you know i get it it's computer programs that you know but i wanted to see some levity and i thought that maybe you know again going back to i wish we could have seen social networks and the real life internet invading the grid and here's people that have been affected by facebook and that's why they're kind of crazy and and, uh eccentric i mean you know is that explained at all in this? No. Is that probably why they're like that in this? No. But, you know, at least I was able to make up my own ideas why I I enjoyed this scene. Because at least it was fun. It was was so great. Here's the moment where I suddenly realized how much Daft Punk's music was really enhancing this film. Mm. The the, the visuals of this film were stunning. The story of this film, as we've discussed, is kind of lackluster. But when... Stuart, Marjorie, and I reviewed The Social Network, which you can get on our Facebook page, which is linked to from nowplayingpodcast.com. We talked about how Trent Reznor's score was one of the best uses of score we've seen in a film. Here, it's like right up there with that. It was such a great use of score that enhanced the film. And in the nightclub scene, it just went over the top. And just as far as the synergy between the music and the visuals and Michael Sheen's performance, I was having so much fun. And a little later on, when the attack comes and Michael Sheen has like a hockey stick machine gun guitar, I am <laughs> that loving was awesome. it. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool, actually. I like that. And I love that Daft Punk got a cameo in here. They, if you guys don't know who they were, they're the two DJs and the cyclone you know battlestar galactica type mask i mean that was the act that's actually daft punk i'd never heard of daft punk before as far as i know but yet i knew it was them because of course it's them because it's like having dj am in iron man 2 of course (laughs) or or zz top and back to the future yeah exactly of course it's them i didn't even need to see their face to go well i guess that's daft punk 
I did love the music uh, in this movie. I loved at one point there was an organ, and then it went right into techno. I think in these, I think here in these scenes when they go from Jeff Bridges to the scene, whatever. And I loved it. I loved it. I thought the music really did help this movie. Yeah, honestly, this may be my favorite soundtrack of the year. I picked it up on Amazon before seeing the movie. They had the MP3 download for three bucks, and I couldn't pass that up. I hadn't listened to it before the movie. But now I have, after the movie, just a great freaking score. Tremendous. And it works so well with the film. It just Mm -hmm. – it integrates perfectly. And the music almost never stops in this movie. There's music almost beginning to end. It's like a Star Wars film like that. It's almost like a silent movie with this music setting the tone and just so well done. Kudos to whoever picked Daft Punk and kudos to Daft Punk. Agree. And yeah, Michael Sheen, he was in a different movie, but it's a movie I wish I was watching. <laughs> yes, fair enough. Fair enough. And so when he was there and he had that chaos and energy, you know, you wanted to know why there was a nightclub. I wanted to know why he was so chaotic and energetic. Was he an ISO? Was he another leftover ISO? Was he a poorly written program? I don't, I would have liked to know that, but I, I just, man, his, over the top with standing up there in the middle of a firefight. I just, oh my God. And when he died, I wept a little because I just wanted him to carry the rest of the film. He was so much more interesting than this freaking Sam guy who is just so cardboard and two dimensional. I don't know Garrett Headland from anything else, but I don't care to ever see him again after this. I was thinking the whole time, this guy looks so familiar. I thought he was Reese from Malcolm in the Middle for like half the movie. <laughs> I honestly thought he was probably from Twilight. <laughs> I, I've seen the Twilight movies, and and sadly, I know that he wasn't. Strangely <laughs> enough, Michael Sheen was. Yes. Michael Sheen's a great actor. I, I really like him. Yeah, love him on 30 Rock. Speaking of Michael Sheen's character, Arnie, you said you wept a little when he, he died. My problem with this movie as a whole is, you know, you get this big fight in the nightclub. The big deal is that Rensler snags Kevin Flynn's data disk from his back and that's what clue needs to be able to transport programs into the real world and a quick aside about that i ducked when i was like what the <laughs> my god it got a, I, I, they hadn't done in your face 3d so when that happened i flinched it got me and i'm sorry i don't think it actually was rensler that stole the data disk. that was another black guard because that black guard is killed by Zeus, who then takes the disc. And I'm like, okay, so he's got some ulterior motives. He's going to become this all-powerful thing, maybe overthrow Clue. No, Clue walks in, takes the disc, kills everyone. Like, what? it just seems like wasted storytelling because by by the end of the scene, nothing's happened. It, it's where you started from. You know, Clue had the disc. So why did you have to go through the whole, why couldn't that black guard just steal the disc and gone to Clue? I mean, nothing's done with him. Michael Sheen's character was so great when he was betraying Sam that they had to kill him somehow. And that was how they chose to do it. I agree, though. I wish that he would have been more powerful so that Clue couldn't kill him. You know, he's standing there like, we need each other, don't we? And, you know, it telegraphs completely that he's about to be killed. But I yeah, wish. Why does he hand over the data disk? Oh, yeah, you clue, you, you evil dictator. You gave me my word that I could control the city. Here's the disk. Really? If you're an evil dictator, I'm not just taking your word for it. So then we get on the solar sailor again. This time they call it a freight train instead of a solar sailor. But it's a solar sailor. This scared the hell out of me because, you know, we've talked so much about the soundtrack. I checked out the soundtrack. Um, I was checking out just, you know, the samples on uh, iTunes just to listen to it. And I noticed there was a track called Solar Sailor. (laughs) 
And I'm like, okay, I'm going to stay open minded. You know, I you listen to the last Tron review that this is where the movie totally lost me. And they get on a solar sailor on a beam of light right after Kevin says, we're going to like run like bats out of hell to get to that beam to get back into the real world. And then they jump on a solar sailor. And this is where if I had a gun, I would have put it in my mouth at this <laughs> point. Like out, out of all the things you're going to copy from the original Tron, all the things you're going to do better. Really, the solar sailor where it moves at like two miles an hour, it's like the old people mover at Disneyland. At least they explained this time they were stowing away on something that was already going there, which made more sense. It was still a solar sailor. I don't care if they're stowaways. But I liked it a little better versus just we're going to take the slowest mode of transportation we happen to have. I, I agree. If all the things we're bringing back, the solar sailor was curious. The fact that they spent so much time in this movie on the solar sailor was also very curious to me. I thought maybe in this time, the solar sailor might move a little faster. They, they use that time for exposition. They use that time to, to heal Cora. They use that time for father and son, obvious bonding and, and telegraphing what's going to happen at the end. They, they use the time, but it still could have been much faster. And I don't get it. I didn't hate this scene as much as you guys hated the last one in the last movie. I just felt they... It, it, it took a little too much time with it. I didn't hate this scene as much as I hated the one in the last movie because let me tell you one thing they did right here. And that's by having two humans from the real world, a father and son, an estranged father and son because the son felt he'd been abandoned, not knowing what really happened. And the father who missed his son. Here you have a dynamic that I'm going with. And you can obviously see why Sam would be attracted to Quora because she's hot. I don't know if there's a personality reason, but I went with this because we said in the last movie, we don't get what the dynamic is between Flynn and Tron and whatever the other program's name was. Here, I get their relationship. I get their dynamics. So when they're talking on the Solar Sailor and having these personal moments, it worked for me. Whereas in the last movie, I'm like, why are they doing this? Why are they saying this? Why is she kissing him? I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I agree. Not that I enjoyed the Solar Sailor scene, but it worked better in this film than in the original. It didn't seem as agonizing as I was expecting it to be because it just took me back to that scene in the first film. They actually did some stuff with it. Uh, it built the characters. Yeah, Arnie, I agree that the characters here have a better relationship. You know the dynamic between them better. I don't think it's still a great dynamic between everyone, but you you get it better than between Tron and Flynn. At least here it's an estranged father and son. And I, OK, I get that. Yeah. I mean, when I said that I felt like this was the same movie as before, only upgraded. One of the things they upgraded were the characters. I liked that these characters had relationships I could identify with or at least understand and not just be like, why, why are they doing what they're doing? They had motivations that were clear. They were about as deep as a 1980s Saturday morning cartoon, but they were clear. I, I understand where you're coming from on this, but the plot of this movie was very depressing to me. And maybe it's because I'm a parent and that kind of hits me home more, the fact that I can't see my daughter for 20 years because I'm trapped in a computer. But it just seemed to me that it's very, very dark and, and depressing. And while that did play out between the two characters – well enough for me, again, as you said, it was pretty light, uh, pretty not, not a lot of depth there, but I got what they were doing. I was a little disappointed that this is the plot of the movie, that the man was stuck in the computer for 20 years. And, and while the whole movie hinges on this, <laughs> I, I kind of wish it was a different story completely. And I, it was just to just think about what they're telling us happened. It's so, so much of a bummer that it kind of tainted a lot of the film for me. 
and maybe you guys didn't get that. But not in the least, it didn't yeah, bother me. In the it bummed it, me out that the guy was trapped in a computer for twenty years and, and just bummed me out. When I said that in the Earth scenes, the dynamic was working for me. I felt for that son who was raised without a father. Yes, but, uh, but it didn't bum me out for the whole movie. They were reunited. Yes, there was a twenty-year gap. It's a story. You know? Yeah, it didn't. Yeah. It didn't bum me out. I just wish more. Like when they reconnect, it just didn't really feel like they were reconnecting. It was like, dude, you haven't seen each other in twenty years, and he's like, oh, I dropped out of college. Oh darn, son, why did you do that? Like you, you get this scene on the on the solar sailor where he's like, the polar ice caps are melting and there's pollution, and like, really, you haven't seen your dad in twenty years, and that's how you're going to describe the outside world. Not that there's this vast social network of computers and and people don't need to be multimillionaires to have their own TV shows or their own radio shows. Just like now playing, we don't need a we, we appreciate your donations, but we don't need millions of dollars to do this. I, I like, actually that, that's do. amazing. <laughs> I'm I'm sure you would like millions of dollars to do <laughs> but, but we don't have to be you know nbc abc to do a radio show or even to do a, a television show these days so, so you know your dad's a techie and you're going to tell him about the polar ice caps in the 80s did anyone know about polar ice caps he mentions wi-fi we have a little joke <laughs> about right. how he invented that in 85 or whatever but how do you talk to someone you barely know and you miss, where do you start? The thing is, I felt the reunion was very cold. I understand Sam felt like he'd been walked out on, but he's in a digital world now. He understands all that's going on. You'd think that resentment would melt away when you realize that you were holding a grudge for the wrong reasons. You know, if I, if my father disappeared when I was a kid and I thought he walked out on us, but then I found out, oh, he was captive of Al-Qaeda for all this time. I, I don't think I'd hold that resentment much longer. <laughs> Like on Chuck, when Chuck finds out why his parents left. Yeah. So yeah. It, I I felt like their reunion was too cold, you know? And I understand it's a screenwriting thing, but when, like, father and son are reunited, and then Kevin goes, dinner will be soon. We'll talk then. And walks away. I'm like, dude, you've been missing your kid for 20 <laughs> years. I'm just going to go outside and sit on the lanai now. <laughs> well, he said something about the pager. I got your page. And I think what they were doing there was he's trying to figure out why he's here and all that. I agree with you. That hit me. But I was like, now, what is he doing there? And I took it to be that he's trying to figure out how he got there and that that clue he's is not researching something. anything. I mean, maybe he's talking to the sky, but he's meditating on it, dude. <laughs> he's talking to the sky and the sky talks back. OK, he's the creator. When, when he's on the solar, when Kevin's on the solar sailor and he's like, I'm going to go talk to the sky or tap the sky or whatever. He goes and meditates or and he's in this deep, you know, where you're listening to any, you know, they apply that he's like listening and getting in touch with the surrounding. And there's a recognizer flying right under you. <laughs> Like, how did he not hear that? Like, <laughs> that didn't make any. And then it pops up all of a sudden. They're like, oh, my gosh, we're caught by surprise. Like, it was you were meditating, listening to the sounds around you. How was he caught by surprise? This is exactly what happened the last time he was on a solar sailor. <laughs> I would have liked one line about like, haven't I been through this before? Has the same stuff happened to the same guy twice. Yes, in the same grid. Yeah, they needed that. They really did. I mean, the recognizer attacking the solar sailor again. It's like, ah. Then we get a scene that I thought was a complete ripoff out of Star Wars. Yeah, they, they go into the Death Star and they deactivate the, uh, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. We're talking about Tron Legacy. We see the clone army. Oh, wait. We're talking yes. about Tron Legacy. <laughs> I mean, they even have Quora say, here they come. And then he gets in the turret gun. Yes. <laughs> I enjoy the shooting scene. I mean, yeah, it's derivative, but. Oh, yeah. It was very well done. Yes. I, I thought it, it actually, when they flew up to the sky, it reminded me of Tim Burton's Batman a little bit. Yeah, you know, this for me, this is perfect sequel material where you took some old concepts like the light cycle and you upped it. Now you got light planes, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, and the, I love that, you know, 
when the, all of a sudden they start shooting out, you know, whatever those laser exhaust trails are that you blow up if you hit. Like when they start doing that with, that with the planes, I'm like, okay, they finally stepped up the game. They not only improved the old games from the original Tron, but now here they brought a new game. They used some of the old concepts and really stepped it up a level here. So yeah, I, I again, my problems with the light cycles that they didn't move fast enough. These planes didn't seem as, as zippy as I wanted them to, but I still like the concept. You know, and the other thing, though, was you mentioned earlier, Jacob, that you liked how they had the handlebar and they jumped up in the air and became the light cycle. Here, they jumped in the air and became planes. And I'm like, man, it, it felt a little bit like Transformers, like Starscream, the <laughs> robot jumps in the air and then transforms to Starscream, the airplane. I dug it. I really liked that they did that, though. It was cool, but yet it, it's like they could just jump in the air and become anything if they're holding the right little scroll. Ah, exactly. It, it's, it's, how cool it's would like, that be? It's like Superman. You put the right crystal in the Fortress of Solitude, you'll you'll get whatever you need. You including a big cellophane S. Yes. And including a beautiful poem about trees. <laughs> <laughs> I I did like the death of the minion. I don't even remember the minion's name, but the little sycophantic second in command, Jarvis. Yeah, I I thought it was You knew it was coming, the right but thing, yeah. I liked how it happened. Me too. And I don't think we've mentioned this, but I, I loved how people died in this world where they just shattered in these little cubes. I don't I don't think that's been brought up, but you saw it with Jarvis. You saw it with all these deaths, just how they just kind of kind of shattered into little bits, which I really enjoy. I dug it, too. I did. Me too. It reminded me a little bit of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. A little bit. You know when it reminded me of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is when, like, Sam kills two guards by knocking them off and you hear the de-rezzing sound, but you don't see it. And I just remember from, like, a Buffy commentary from an episode where they said it costs a million dollars every time they stake a vampire on screen. So they do it off screen and you'd hear the sound and it costs them nothing. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny you should say that. That's great. So I thought it reminded me of Buffy only when Sam killed the two people and we hear the sound off screen. I'm like, well, they just saved two million dollars. Why? Why did they save $2 million? It, this movie, what's $2 million on this movie? <laughs> <laughs> now, now here's my question for you guys. So this whole airplane chase, it's all about getting back to the, the laser beam so they could get back to the real world. And, of course, Clue wants it because they want to be able to – he wants to be able to invade the real world, have the programs become human. And there's this whole deal with getting Kevin Flynn's disc. Now, did they need that because that had the knowledge of how to turn a program into a person? Is that why they needed that disc? Because I didn't really – going back to the laser physics, it talks about how the, the atoms, the, the material stuff of people are kept in the laser. Well, the programs don't have a material self. How are they supposed to become human? They said that that disc is the key, and I took it as the knowledge because he puts it up on that little thing and starts looking at it. So it's the MacGuffin. Yeah, it's basically the MacGuffin. It's the magic wand. <laughs> Yes. What I don't get, though, is like it then later in, at first I thought it had the knowledge, but then later it's like whoever's holding that disc can go. So I don't know how Clue was going to use it to transport a whole army when Kevin himself couldn't reform without that disc because he gave it to Quora. And so she went instead of him. I see. You're saying it's a one time use. Yeah, it, it appears to be like a ticket instead of a key. A key would open a door that anyone could go through. This was a one-person ticket, and then the gate agent would require another ticket. So how was the army getting through if Kevin, the god of the world himself, can't get through? He he actually was human. <laughs> I didn't get that. I did not understand why he just couldn't reform the bridge and walk across later on. It's revealed, unless I read this wrong, but it was Clue that was sending out these pages to try to get people to come through the portal so it would open up and they could go through. 
right? Like, why didn't they just have the army sitting next to that portal? I know they still had to get the key, but wouldn't you just, you know, kind of build the, the cloning facility right around that big laser beam? So as soon as you get that key, you could just jump in. You don't have to take another spaceship way over there. Like, there's just things like this that bugged me. It, what bugged me is just the inconsistencies of not making it clear. It would, I would have actually gone with ISOs could form in the real world, even though they never had a human form. Because they're biodigital jazz. Yeah. Right. But I didn't get how the programs could. I mean, yes. if, if my little customer database suddenly became real and started walking around, uh, how would that even look? And where, you know, it, I guess it's because everything's going to change. Matter can be created and destroyed in this new biodigital jazz. You know what? I was actually just disappointed in the whole I'm bringing in an army from a different dimension to take over the Earth. Been done. You know, I, I, I just, like, really, that's your plot is you're going to take an army and invade the Earth coming out of an arcade. Yeah. And, and again, if the grid had somehow been hooked up to the World Wide Web and so Clue was able to see how imperfect the world was and that's why he wanted to invade it. It really seemed they go they went back to this open source thing where Clue he's giving this big speech to his SS stormtroopers and he's like, Flynn has kept us away from the world and we're supposed to, you know, programs are supposed to be free and be able to go anywhere. And they try kind of go back to the whole open source. We're going to give OS 12 to everyone for free. But it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's kind of a stretch. They needed to use OS 12 as part of the plan. They really did. And there needed to be a human co-conspirator. Did it bother you guys at all in the first movie? They told us and explained to us that programs in the computer world look like programmers. In this movie, there are a whole bunch of different looking programs, but only one creator. And none of these people look like anyone we've met or presumably anyone that Kevin's met. So if this is a private computer he's creating this thing on now in his basement, every program should look like Jeff Bridges. And they don't. They look well, like maybe they're off the shelf software. Maybe he, he went out and bought print shop. Ah, but he said he brought Tron in. Remember, he said during the flashback, I brought Tron in to help me out with this and that. And that's why Tron was there. They explain why Tron was there, but nobody else. And so it doesn't make much sense to me if that's a big thing about it was one of the cool things, and a big thing in the first movie where these other programs come from. Why they look differently. Now, he's the God. He can create things in his own image. And yeah, maybe he can create things not in his own image because he's the God. Sure. Biodigital jazz, man. Yeah, it's possible, but they didn't explain that at all. There's a lot of things they didn't explain at all, and the things they did explain, they explained poorly. That's can all we talk I'm trying about... to say. <laughs> can we talk about Tron changing allegiances? So while they're running from Clue to get to the big laser in the sky, the Rinsler has them in his sights and then goes, I fight for the user and changes sides. And, and that's when the whole audience is supposed to go, F, yeah! I, I think because they try to play it up like this big deal and it was totally silent in the theater. Like no one cared. Um, also, why why does Tron decide to be good again? Because he heard Flynn, Flynn's name and remembered it. But I'm sure he's heard Flynn a million times when Clue's been trying to hunt him. I think it's that Rinsler, he was somewhat brainwashed. I mean, how many times have we seen this hackneyed thing, too, where like Indy is supposed to kill Short Round, but he can't and he fights off the black blood. You know, it's it's like all of these things where you're supposed to do the most evil thing now that you're under somebody else's control, but that inner core of you won't let you do it. 
mm-hmm. there wasn't enough here. At least short round was standing there right in front of him, burned Indy with the fire, and it kind of took him out of the spell. Here, they, he just he's like, Flynn, I recognize that name. I fight for the users. I'm like, it just wasn't convincing to me. Agreed. It was just it, too uh, quick. There wasn't enough of Tron there. Honestly, with a movie called Tron Legacy, and they kind of implied that Tron died, although, again, it was off screen, so I didn't buy it. But I would have been fine if they had killed Tron, and this was his legacy. But mm-hmm. the fact that this is Tron, and Rinsler, they never took off the mask. We never got to see yeah. Bruce Boxleiter's... Yeah, why didn't they show his young digital self? Yeah! So when, one when, last shot when he turns good. When he says, I flip the mask up, I fight for the user. It, it, it was the perfect moment to do it, and he keep the mask on. And even have, like, the scene where, like, he's wanting to pull the trigger, and he's having an internal struggle. We don't get that, really. We just, we see an a blank face. And honestly, the black guard slash Rensler suit reminded me of Charlie Sheen's suit from The Wraith. That's what the design kept me going back to. But because we just see this blank mask that has no facial features at all, you don't get any kind of a struggle out of it. It's just all of a sudden I fight for the users. Okay. All right. I'll go with it because you're the story. At this point, I know that your story sucks anyway. So. (laughs) And I figured out he was Tron long before. So it wasn't a big shock how that was going to turn out. Now, did you all think that Tron was going to make a big comeback at the end as maybe like giant Tron, kind of like the... I I was like, we were getting towards the end of the film. There's the fight on the bridge towards the laser beam. And I'm like, dude, if they're going to you know redo the whole giant thing, this is the time to do it. I was hoping they wouldn't. But in my mind, I'm like, I won't be surprised if they do. They have the solar sailor. They're going to bring back the giant. I thought they would because he fell into the pool of water. And uh, And he turns blue or or whatever the good color is. So it's like Tron's not really dead. If there's a sequel, they have the option to bring Tron back. They didn't make the big deal that the water is so invigorating. But I figure if you fall into the water and you're not de-res, there's a chance you could walk out as an eight-foot giant. (laughs) Yes. uh, I guess we could review that in 28 years when we get the third (laughs) installment. So we all knew that Jeff Bridges was not going back to the real world. Do you like the way they made him not go back to the real world? Well, were you guys surprised that he switched discs with Korra? Was that no. a surprise to anyone? No. Like, no. Again, anyone that, who's that, seen a paper movie knows that they switch it. And that's my thing. Maybe th- There's no surprises in this film. Like, nope. maybe I've just seen too many movies and I know the tricks. Maybe a 10-year-old was like, oh my gosh, they switched Frisbees. But I don't think this was made for 10-year-olds. This was made for us for that had this nostalgic love, supposedly, for the first one. And it's done as a Disney 10-year-old movie. Here, here's the thing is, everything in here was screenwriting 101, but it's like the guy never got to screenwriting 202. Yes. Mm-hmm. And even he got a C in 101. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just, the way he stayed behind, sacrificed himself for his son, they're setting that up, and that's it's not really earned, I guess, but that's where it was going. And then he merges with Clue in that big, he pulled Clue back with this, power that he has not shown he, he turns into avatar the last airbender i thought he, he turned into god he had yeah. the beard the flowing robes he was god right i mean he even looked like god from star trek 5 so he could have just pushed clue far enough away remade the bridge walked across the bridge to go back with his son he's choosing not to go back well and here's the thing that he merges or derezes or something with clue they blow up Okay, at the end of the first Tron, after they kill the MCP, you know, oh, all the pretty lights turn on and all the information towers light up and are shooting their beams up in the sky. Here you get an explosion. You never see what happens to the grid. It just blows up, supposedly. I think we were supposed to believe the grid was destroyed. 
that okay, but we know that didn't happen. So what happened to it? I guess that's Tron three. Yeah, that's the thing is you're supposed to think the grid was destroyed, except you get that one scene of Sam downloading something from his father's old 1980s computer onto like a thumb drive or memory stick or something. Except it has an LED flashing that either it's processing something or storing something. See, and I thought I thought that was Cora turned into a material item for a second. I'm like, oh, a program becomes a thumb drive in the real world. That would be a successful uh, military coup. That would be the worst ending ever. Like, that's what I, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. He has a weird thumb drive around his neck. And it, from 1989, would she have eight kilobytes of storage? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's all very cryptic what he's doing at the end. I don't even think the screenwriters know. It's it, what they're doing is leaving the door open. Screenwriting 101, leave the door open for the next writer to do something. Well, and here's the thing he runs into Alan. Alan shows up because he got another page. He shows up at Flynn's Arcade and he's like, call a board meeting for 8 a.m. I'm like, okay, so we're going to see him announce something with OS 12, which we got at the beginning of the film. No, the movie, they write off. Cora finally gets to see what the sun kind of looks like because it was behind clouds. You know, and you, you know, you get these whole it was kind of like the reverse of the first Tron where, you know, oh, the world's becoming this mechanical thing here. No, we need it. You know, if they would have build up these themes, get off of Facebook and go look at the sunset and go look at the trees. I think this, you know, this ending would have been more poignant. But it's like, oh, yeah, the real world. It's really neat. We should get away from our computers. Don't you think the board would have known something bad was about to happen when the meeting was being called during sunlight? uh it it basically mirrored the end of the first movie here right we all know that so they just also they just stop the story uh a little little more closure than the first movie but they just pretty much tell us that's what's going to happen here you go i thought the sunlight i agree i thought that's the sunset shot they got from the end of this movie (laughs) they couldn't find a better sunrise to show her well you know it's her first day she doesn't get to pick the sunrise in a, in, a movie, have... in a movie, you do, Arnie. In a movie, you do. In a movie, you get to show what the kind of sunrise the, you want to show. In Tron, they were going for realism. <laughs> if you have a whole scene where it's like, describe the sun to me, and it's like the worst description ever. It's radiant. Wow. Okay. It's warm. Yes, it's warm. You know what? It tells me nothing about the sun. It's a big orange ball of fire. That tells me what the No, but, you know, why, why, if, if Cora, you, we see that she's human at the end, why not give Sam some kind of disease or something that we could see that he's healed from because of Cora at the end so we get what this whole bio-digital jazz thing is and how it's going to save the world and change medicine? Like, there's no resolution here. It's just like, okay, we got to the end of the film. You're back in the real world. Roll credits. Not that I wanted the film to go on any longer. <laughs> I agree that they needed to give me a, a an answer as to what was going to happen. I honestly thought she might, like, step into the real world, and she, in our world, would be like Neo in the Matrix. She could fly, and she could just point and create or something. No, she wants to go on a bike ride. It's just the next day. You know, she hasn't gotten used to it, maybe. I don't know. Arnie, you said we were going to fight, so I'm waiting for this fight to start. Cause we- yeah, well, you said you hated this movie, we're, but you, you keep talking about all these things you liked about it. I've been talking about the things I hate about it, too. <laughs> but you and know, so have you. I, I'm confused. Rock, maybe it's time for your line. Uh, that's my cue. So, Jacob, Arnie, do you recommend Tron Legacy? Jacob. Look, it's it's an upgrade. It's got flashier graphics. I liked, you know, when they did, they took those old scenes like the, 
the frisbee fights and the light cycles and you know the planes. Yeah, I I liked how they looked aesthetically. I really liked the dance club scene because it was finally letting loose and having some fun. It was totally insane and crazy and didn't make a lot of sense, but at least it was fun. You know, I I think I, I talked about at the beginning of the show. Uh, we had one cosplayer show up to this filming, and he's dressed as the, like the cyclone from. You know, the Daft Punk cyclone. And during the ending credits, you know who got the biggest applause when they showed com- music composed by Daft Punk? That got the only applause from the crowd. And, and just like Tron, what you remember most is the arcade game. I think what you're going to remember most of Tron Legacy is Daft Punk soundtrack. Uh, this there's just the story here is just it's a mess. It doesn't even build on the logic from the first film. And, and I know Disney's not expecting anyone. They've done their dangdest to make sure you didn't see that first film but there's just too many logical problems with the physics of this world one they don't explain the physics so i got to make up my own you know I'll, I'll buy into any just about any world in a movie as long as you use the first 10 minutes of the film to explain the physics of the film they don't do that here there's too many holes the yeah it, it was fun to look at you know it had some scenes that i really enjoyed but i was miserable sitting here i would watch Tron, the original Tron, before I watch this film again. Not recommended. Arnie. Oh, I, I, I just, you know, we seem to be on the same page. I just don't understand how you can I, say I that. Get, because yeah. I recommend this film, and it's not like a, the strongest recommendation I've ever had, but it is a solid, solid recommend from me. And let me explain why. I mean, I know we've ripped this story apart because it, it's truly poorly written. But the things I've talked about also during this podcast, and I hope they've come through, are how impressed I was repeatedly with the visuals, with the action, and with the sound. There is more to a movie than just the story, although usually, nine times out of ten, the story is what makes or breaks for me. Here, the story was serviceable. It was passable. It was fine. It wasn't great. But what made this movie were the visuals, and I was transported into this digital world. I felt on the grid between the size of the IMAX screen, the 3D effects, the constant music getting me just in the right mood, because honestly, nothing can change mood quite like music. And the music was so well used here, and I was so transported. Jacob, you said you'd watch the original Tron again before this. I will never watch the original Tron again. I am seeing this again in theaters this weekend. And I will never watch it on home video. Not once. Because I will not have the thumping bass shaking my chair as the recognizers come. And as Daft Punk's music just rocks the house. And I won't, even if I went out and bought a $10,000 3D TV, it won't be as sharp as theatrical 3D. Not yet. I will never watch this in 2D, and I will not watch it in my house until I buy a couple more subwoofers. And I have some pretty good subwoofers, but I need more of them. This film transported me, and I dare say it's almost artistic. I said earlier, you know, what something said about Star Wars is that Star Wars, especially the originals, are like silent movies. You don't need the dialogue. You've got the music and the actions. The dialogue's just there to string it along, but much of Star Wars works as a silent movie. I think Tron Legacy works as a silent movie with Daft Punk's score and the action scenes. The words coming out of their mouth pay them no mind. They could be so much better. This movie could be an A-plus movie with everything it has going for it if they'd had a script polish and had more Killian Murphy. But as it is, this movie is a solid B-plus for the experience of watching it. It's like an amusement park ride. It Honestly, like the Back to the Future amusement park ride. What a silly-ass story of Biff Tannen again taking <laughs> the machine. But what a great ride. 
Tron Legacy was a great ride, but a dumb story. So yes, I recommend you get your ass to theaters. So, but you recommend the movie? Yeah. Or you recommend you people get the theaters? I recommend get your ass to the theaters to see Tron Legacy, and okay. don't wait for home video. Don't ever see it on home video. <laughs> and Arnie, I am going to ask you: Can you please see this movie in regular 3D, not IMAX 3D? Unless you don't want to spend the unless you really want the full experience again. But... I'm not driving to St. Louis to see it again. I'm seeing it after work. Okay, good. So I will see it not on IMAX 3D. I will see it on regular 3D. But I am seeing it again in 3D because I want to re-experience what I experienced because I enjoyed myself. At no point was I, like, emotionally enthralled. I was never – a good movie would engage me with the characters and have me, you know, when he goes, I fight for the users, would have me – I wouldn't actually applaud because I'm from the Midwest. I would sit there in my chair silently. But inside, I would be (laughs) cheering. But it didn't have me ever inside cheering. But the entire time, I just sat there like, wow, dude, just wow. It This movie – did you smoke grass before you saw no. this? No. <laughs> but this movie is biodigital 3D jazz. That's what it is. It is biodigital jazz, and I liked it. If you don't see it on IMAX, Arnie, I'm not sure if you're going to have that same experience, which is why I'm asking you just to do it in 3D and not 3D IMAX. And I want to hear what you get to say on Monday or Tuesday after you do that. I will post on the forums and on Facebook and the threads about this movie to say if I have the same experience. But this is the experience I had. For the see, review. And that's yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're doing reviewing the movie you saw and the way you saw it. And intentionally, now. I went out of my way to see IMAX so we could bring that perspective to the show and you guys both didn't see it and i know you jacob you talked about the 3d being underwhelming perhaps it's the difference between imax and regular yes but and arnie exactly what i'm getting at and arnie the way you're describing it i mean the the way you're talking is is the way i feel when i'm talking about speed racer and i wanted this to be speed racer it had the 3d it had all the crazy colors i wanted that it's just the action it it just didn't have it wasn't fast enough there's just you know we talked about how this felt behind the times. Yeah, it felt like a processor that was just a little too uh, slow to process the speed that this film should have been at for me. And that's why in the end, the 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 effects, the cinematography, the action didn't over, you know, didn't win me over from the sto- problems I had with the story. All right. And for me, the story just was so secondary, but the visuals and everything else were so stunning. I enjoyed myself immensely. And I am going to say I am not recommending this movie. I mean, I understand the visuals are great. The visuals are great here. But you, you all know that overused quote now, the people call ironic quote of George Lucas saying on those old videotapes that a, an effect without a story is a pretty boring thing. It's exactly what happened here, folks. The story is not strong enough for me. And I liked some of the visuals. I really did. And the music, we talked about how great that was. I liked some of the performances. I really, really did. But much like Arnie in the first movie of Tron, halfway through this movie, I'm like, I'm bored. I need something. I need a story to go along with all these cool visuals because I was underwhelmed. And I had no expectations coming into this, or if I had expectations, they were, I'm expecting it to be Tron 2.0. I was the way I was marketed as. Well, you know, you could say that it came through a little bit on the visuals on that end, but what I needed them to do is also upgrade the story and the characters. And I got a pretty pedestrian story of what we've seen in movies before about the uh, of the father and son thing, which did kind of depress me a bit. But the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking to myself, where is it going? Well, okay, so this person's going to do this. This person's going to do that. And that's a sign to me. Whenever I'm sitting there trying to figure the movie out or, or having figured the movie out, it's a giant clue to me that this movie is not working. It's unfortunate. There's a lot of cool stuff here to see. But as a movie as a whole, it's like Avatar. 
there's just the story is not strong enough to justify how it, to call it a great movie. The visuals in Avatar were beautiful. Same thing here, but it's not enough to call it a good movie. It's not. It's not a good movie. So I, I'm giving it. It's a C movie. It's an okay movie, but I can't recommend you see it. You know, you mentioned Avatar. I think got to bring up Avatar. Well, well, come on. It's a 3D. <laughs> I, I, I know it just upsets some of our listeners. I was trying to avoid the whole topic. I know. But what I got to say is I'm probably going to be railed on because how can you recommend Tron for the visuals, yada, yada, when you didn't recommend Avatar? That's what I've been thinking, R. Yes. You, you're contradicting yourself here. You, so you want to know yourself. what I'll say? You brought it up. So explain yourself. Yes. This was an hour shorter. Had they added another hour to Tron, I probably would have been pissed off. If they'd cut an hour out of Avatar, I probably would have given it, you know, the recommend on the visuals and the action. Tron Legacy was almost all action with two slow points. One, of course, is the solar sailor. And the fact that it constantly was moving and bombarding me, whereas Avatar, there was way too much I'm going to plug into a tree now. All right. So... If you liked our review, please let us know on Facebook and on our forums. You can join in the discussion. Or let us know on the grid. Oh, yeah. Post on or, the grid. We got a link to the grid from our homepage. And, but then and they have to go into a old rundown arcade because the grid's apparently not on any network. <laughs> <laughs> please don't forget that you can follow us on Facebook and on iTunes. You can also download our original Tron show and all our other retrospective series on our homepage, which you can find at nowplayingpodcast.com. Of course, in the bottom right-hand corner there is also a donate button. If you feel so compelled to do so, we would appreciate it. This is not free for us. So that that's Tron Legacy, folks, and we will be returning to the, the world of now playing in our next series, but Arnie, you won't be joining us. No, I'm going off the grid for a little while, but you, Stuart, and Jacob will be transporting to all different types of realities. Yes, we are doing a another science fiction series right off the bat to tie into the new Adjustment Bureau movie, which has been delayed now to March. We are going to be doing the movies of Philip K. Dick. Some of that name may not be familiar to some of you, but you probably know a lot of the bigger movies. Phil K. Dick is the author behind the original stories for Blade Runner, Total Recall, Minority Report, and a few smaller movies that you may not know, like Screamers, Imposter, and Paycheck, the uh, uh, Ben Affleck movie, is also Waking Life. Well, sorry. And we also also got a Nicolas Cage movie coming up. Next. Next. Is it coming up next? (laughs) Not next, but with the next retrospective. And Stuart has really delved into the world of Philip K. Dick because he is also going to be reviewing all of the Philip K. Dick original stories over on our sister podcast, Books and Nachos. So you can check all of that out. That's going to premiere the first week in January. So we're taking two weeks off for the holidays, and we'll be back with the first episode in our Philip K. Dick series, Blade Runner, the first week of January. We'll talk to you all real soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Tron Retrospective Series. We made it this far. You can find the other episodes of the Tron Retrospective Series at nowplayingpodcast.com in the archive section, as well as our review of other classic movie series, including Predator, Terminator, Star Trek, Rambo, The Karate Kid, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. Finish the game! If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a positive review for us on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed can be found at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. You can also support Now Playing by making a donation using the donate button at the bottom of our homepage. Your donations help keep Now Playing on the air. 
You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post new episodes, and the Now Playing hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. Now Playing presents the Tron Retrospective Series podcasts are edited by Jay and Arnie. You'll regret this. The Tron films are the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinions of Venganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is copyright and trademark Venganza Media Incorporated 2010, all rights reserved. Jacob, is, is the Duff Funk something that we should, well, is it something like the Hustle that you may know, but you don't know is the name of the song? Uh, you, you don't know the Hustle is the name of the Hustle? The but I was... only lyric is, do the Hustle! Do the Hustle! Do the Hustle! I wonder what the title of this song is! <laughs> but, okay, fine. No, what, I guess. Kevin's old friend Bradley, played by Bruce Boxleiter, goes to visit Sam at... Alan. His name is Alan. Alan. Alan Bradley. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. And honestly, the black guard slash Renzler suit reminded me of Charlie Sheen's suit from The Wraith. That's what the design kept me going back to. But it, it's so blank. Wow. In this episode, in this podcast, we just mentioned the doozers and everything else. You have the most obscure reference of the podcast. <laughs> you win the award. Because I was going all over the place with my references. You win. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and, I, and I'd figured out he was Rinsler, or Clue, or Tron. <laughs> Sam. Just say everyone. You'll get one of them, right? He was the grandparents. <laughs>